0: Yeah, the reading this morning is from uh, the first letter of Peter, chapter 2. It's on page uh, 1228 in the Bibles, church Bibles. Uh, 1 Peter, chapter 2, reading from verses 4 to 10. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Someone asked me earlier whether um, I'd taken up a new hobby over the summer and I said, what are you talking about? And they said, those flowers at the front, they're amazing and for a moment I was tempted to take all the glory I was like yeah while I was on sabbatical I did a flower arranging course um, sadly not but they are left over from a wedding we had in here yesterday a lovely Beth and Al um, and they won't be here to by tomorrow so make the most of them because uh, we're going to give them away but um, I've definitely not taken up flower arranging um, but what I did take up on my sabbatical was the challenge of space and time, having been invited by the Church to uh, the Church of England as a, a minister to withdraw from the front line for a few months to seek God, and I sought God obviously for me, um, but I also sought God for us, um, no doubt you 'd have expected me to do that, and probably were hoping I would do that, uh, and I was asking God the question God. Is, is the vision that we have, the vision that we've discerned corporately over the years, is, is that still what you're saying to us? Is that still the call on this church? Owen oh, said earlier there's only ultimately one vision because there's only one church and the vision is that of the scriptures, that in the scriptures to, to make disciples of all nations, to help usher in more of the kingdom of God. But each local church has to work out what its bit of that commission is. What does it look like in this time, in this season for us? And we've put language to that over the years. And as I prayed and sought God and reflected on that further throughout the summer, I have no sense that God is saying to us, time for some new vision, time for some new language, time for a big new vision process. Uh, There's still so much more that we are called to do I think. But God did um, I think as I reflected um, even just this morning as I was really saying God come on how do I land this I felt like God reminded me of a couple of things that he's been saying to me over the last few months. Uh, and I'm not the only one that speaks uh, uh, that God speaks to for for this church. All of you can hear God for the church, and uh, I'll come to that in a moment. A number of you have been sharing what you sense God is saying, but it's incumbent upon me, I think, as the vicar, the senior pastor, to to, to at least make sure I'm doing that and asking God to speak. And I felt like He said two things. The first uh, we'll come to you in a moment, and the second is next week. So you've got to come back. Do you like what I did there? Uh, And the first thing I felt like he said was this, keep going, keep going, keep going. It's nothing radical, it's not going to blow your minds, it's not some da-da-da new revelation, it's a call to keep going. God has shown us what it looks like in this season I think for us to be the people of all saints we've put language to that we'll come to that in a moment we've put some language around what we think our priorities need to be what our values are what are the things we think it will look like what are the signs that we might be able to spot of us becoming more and more the kind of kingdom shaped church that we long to be and so God is I think Saint Joseph. would you just keep going with that keep going with that do you know what it's a lot easier to get up and cast fresh new vision than it is to say to you all, here we go, it's another year, keep going. But actually, if you read through the scriptures, and I'll come to that again in a moment as well, you will see that more often than not, the people of God, uh, what most of them are called to do, most of the time, is keep going. C.S. Lewis writes about the challenge of perseverance. And he says that actually the problem for us is in our culture, which is always offering us something new, we quickly get disillusioned with the same old, same old. But actually, it is the same old, same old. We proclaim Jesus Christ crucified. And the promise that he will return again. And we keep going until he does. Eugene Peterson, another writer, he says, it's simply about a long obedience in the same direction. That's the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. And actually that can sound a bit dull, but actually that's how it happens. That's how the kingdom comes. That's how the churches that we are part of grow. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. It's not actually to just seek the next new thing the whole time and constantly be distracted. It's to dig in, press on, keep going. I spoke to um, a couple of... Uh, seasoned leaders, uh, wiser, more experienced than I am when I was on my sabbatical and I was chatting to them a little bit about the stage, if you like, of development that we're at as a church Uh, Kath and I will have been here nearly it'll be seven years in a couple of weeks' time I know (laughs) has it really been that long? seven years Uh, and anyone who's studied uh, life cycles in churches remember churches are organic things they're communities that are alive and so they have life cycles The average life cycle of a church, one that's pressing into God, is about 10 years, roughly. And what they say is that around year 6 and into year 7, it can start to feel like really hard work. Because what you've done is you've regrouped or you've sought God afresh and you've felt God speaking to you and you've pressed out as a church on some of the things and you've started some new stuff and it's got exciting and there's been some fruit and then you kind of hit the plateau, where actually it's just another year of the same and we hit some of the challenges and some of the excitement of the new is gone and the challenge is just to keep going and actually some of the issues that perhaps you've been able to ignore, they don't let you ignore them anymore and you have to deal with them and sometimes we get to the point where we're just a bit irritated with each other. And what they say is that that's the point where leaders and churches need to hold their nerve. And they said to me, you've got to hold your nerve rich. One of the reasons why church leaders often leave in year seven is because their going gets tough, and they think, probably, they've done a bad job, and they need to go. Now, sometimes that's probably right. And you'd be pleased to know that I asked lots of people while I was on sabbatical, is it time for me to go? Have you all had enough of me? And no one said yes, so I'm still here. Uh, and if you uh, wish you'd had the opportunity, then you know where my office is. Uh, uh, but actually they said to me, Rich, you've got to hold your nerve. You've got to hold your nerve, your nerve in terms of what you sense God's calling you to uh, as the leader. Because there are times, if I'm honest with you, where I've been frustrated for us. Please hear that. Not with you. For us. Because I want to see God do more than he's doing. I do. I want to see more people coming to faith. I want to see you guys experiencing more freedom. I'd like to think there was more money in the bank account. I'd like to think we were doing more. I'd like to think we were seeing more of the power of the Spirit poured out. I'd like to think X, Y, Z. And I get frustrated for us. And if I'm honest with you, one of the tapes that goes around my head and my lovely wife spends her entire life helping me hear God and not this tape is it's probably because I'm out of my depth. It's probably because I'm a bit rubbish, It's probably because I'm not doing a very good job. Maybe I should just hand on to somebody else. And churches can feel like that too, apparently. We don't necessarily have the language for it. Maybe I'm putting language to it for the very first time today. But there can be a bit of a sense of like, "Oh, this is just hard work, isn't it? Maybe you're not in that place. But I've spoken to some of you and we've acknowledged that it's felt like a bit of a tough run on some fronts. And that's because it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's because it's about keeping going. That's because actually loving people sometimes is just really dull and hard work and fruitless. Sometimes mission and ministry as the church is just in blind, not blind, but in that deep faith of like, God, we're going to trust because actually we're not seeing it right now. We have seen it, but we've read the scriptures and you did it then and we still believe you do it now and we feel like you've spoken to us, so even though we're not seeing it right now and even though it feels like hard work, we're just going to keep on going. And so I don't want to put a downer on the beginning of the year. I want to say, actually, that's kind of normal. And I think what God is saying to us is keep going. Hold your nerve, church. Hold your nerve. Because actually what's interesting is all the data says that the really fruitful years in a life cycle of a church are often years seven, eight, nine, and 10. And I actually think, probably, we're about to see some great things happen. Because we've been contending for the things that we feel God's called us to. And actually, maybe you're like me, you're frustrated. Because you think, come on God, we've been trying to do all the right things. We've been doing the best we can with what we have, and you've not done it yet on the way or the scale we'd like you to. And I'm praying, I have faith that the best is yet to come. And I'm going to hold my nerve as a leader, and I'm calling us to hold our nerve as the church Not to give up, but to keep going. Not to give up on meeting together. Not to give up on Sundays. Not to give up on small group. Not to give up on serving. Not to give up on praying. Not to give up on doing whatever it is you do in the life of this church, but to keep going, to hold our nerve, to say, God, come on. Because you showed us things that you are going to do in this church, and we've not seen it happen in full yet. You've promised us things in the scriptures and to us directly that we've not seen yet. So when's it going to happen? I don't know but do you know what it won't happen if we stop it won't happen if we don't keep going it won't happen if we just dial it down and we start to come a little less often and we start to be a little less committed and we start to kind of just lower our expectations it won't happen but it will in the fullness of time if we hold our nerve just as I was Praying this morning for what I wanted to say, I really felt like God was saying, actually, uh, that is a word for some of us as individuals as well this morning. That you are in a, you, you feel like you've been in a season where it's just been really hard. Life has been hard. Following Jesus has been hard. And you've wondered whether it's worth it. And you've wondered whether you can just keep going. Or whether maybe you're just not gonna cut it. Maybe God's not really interested in you. And I think the Lord wants to say to you, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And if nothing else, can we be a community that comes alongside the people who are finding it hard right now and say, keep going. And not just say it, but actually run alongside. Hold them, carry them, lift them. Because I look out and I know some of the stories and I know that you're not necessarily going to tell everybody what's going on right now, but I know, others know, and we're in this together. And it might just be for you, like for us, that the best years are ahead. The best years are ahead. A famous Christian writer, Elizabeth Elliot, she says this, I think this is so helpful. Don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. Don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith we've been planting and we've begun to see some uh, return on that haven't we we've sown into mission and ministry in this season of the church and uh, we've seen some fruit we've seen some amazing things happen but in those moments of doubt there was a temptation if i'm honest for me to go did we just get it all wrong like, do we overplay what we think God might want to do in us and through us? Maybe we just need to redig the garden. Maybe we just need to play it safe. Maybe we'll we'll reduce down how much we say. We'll tarmac that bit and we'll play it safe and we'll just. But but actually, I think God wants to say no, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. A number of you have. Um, said to me over the last couple of weeks what you feel like God's been saying to you for us. And I'm always appreciative of when you do that. And, you know, anyone can do that. Just say, God, what are you saying to it? all saints and offer it and see what happens. And there's been a little bit of a, th- a theme emerge, uh, this sense that we're going into a new, a new phase. Uh, that really resonates with Kath and I, probably because we've had a big break and we're back Uh, someone said to us the other night that they sense that we're on the cusp of something as a church there's that sense in which we've come to the end of a bit of a slog where we've just kept going and perhaps there's some good things ahead Uh, someone else had a picture of a big harvest coming in and I don't say those things to hype us up that's not my style you know that the last thing I want to do is gee you all up so you just keep going and then by Christmas you're all like yeah whatever I don't want to do that. But I do want to say, guys, I really believe that that which we're contending for, that that there will come a day when we will start to see the fruit that we've been praying for, the fruit we've been dreaming of, the things that we've not seen yet. And that is not to discount all the wonderful things that have already happened. But it's to remind us that there's always more. There's always more. Last time I looked out, there are lots of people who don't know Jesus yet. Last time I wandered around, there were places in our city that, frankly, I don't think I'd want to live in. Every school, every hospital, every office place, everywhere needs Jesus more. And no no disrespect, but like, none of us are Jesus yet. None of us are Christ-like yet. We all need more of him. Like I do. Jeepers. I look at myself and I think, oh my goodness, why on earth do you let me lead a church? So there's always more. maybe, just maybe, we're coming into the season where we're going to see more of what we've been trusting God for. If you've got a Bible open, I'd love you to turn really quickly just to uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, which is a famous passage uh, from a letter that I think Paul wrote. Uh, And I just want to get you to notice something. There's a long, long list uh, in Hebrews 11 of all these people. on before us in the faith, right from the very beginning of the story, really. And just notice what it says of all of them. It says, by faith, excuse me, we have the most sensitive microphone in the world, and I'm going to lower it a little bit. By faith, it says, Abel offered God a better sacrifice by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham. Notice Abraham, he just kept going. Long obedience in the same direction. By faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses, by faith, Moses. He's another one. He had a particularly tough time. By faith, the people. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab. And on it goes. By faith. By faith. In the message translation, it opens up this chapter like this. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trusting God, faith, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. And he goes on to say, by faith we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. In a more traditional translation, it says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Here's what I feel like God is saying the way you keep going the way we keep going is we keep trusting, we keep asking, we keep exercising faith, we keep believing for the things that we cannot see because Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament those things are more real than the seen and so we do not get the data from all around us, ultimately we use that data to help us but the data we ultimately need is the promise of scripture that there will come a day when all shall be well. And so as God's people, not just for ourselves actually, but for those people we're called to serve, we are called and expected to act in faith. To act in faith. Not just to pray in faith, but to act in faith. It was by faith that those things happened throughout the scriptures. Go read the Bible, you'll see all these people, they were just ordinary people, called by God. And they kept going because they had faith. And God used that I don't want us to overplay it. I just want to keep it really simple. Can we just keep having faith for the vision that God's given us? Can we keep having faith that when we gather, God will meet with us? That when we meet in small groups, we'll disciple one another? That when we pray for one another, the Spirit will come? That when we pray for for healing, people might get healed? Can we pray that when we dare to share our faith, that people will come along? Can we dare to believe that when we start to feed the hungry more through our food bank, when we press on with our cat projects, when we do all the things that we're doing, that in faith God's going to do the stuff that we call he's called us to do? Can we believe that together? That's what I'm calling you to, to keep going as people of faith. The reading we had from 1 Peter 2, real quick, there are two things in there that I just think are amazing. I always come back to that passage. The first is it tells us who we are. It's our identity. We are a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. That doesn't get any better than that because Hebrews says Jesus is the great high priest. He's a royal priest and we're on his team. So forget Anglican priests. Don't worry about that. You're all priests. And we're called to stand in the gap between God and his world and to say, God is for you, not against you. God is at work doing amazing things. He says we're a holy nation, a chosen people. Chosen according to grace, by the way, not your qualifications. You can bring your CV in, but it it doesn't get read. It's not your CV that matters, it's his. And we're told that our purpose is to offer spiritual sacrifices, to declare the praises of him, to live in such a way in faith that in us and through us God's kingdom will come and it's often in the day-to-day long and boring. But it's the call of discipleship. And that's the vision. (laughs) To keep going with the vision God's given us, which is this. To be a growing community of kingdom people. We want to We want to grow, don't we? I want more people to know Jesus. I want every church in this city to grow. I want there to be more churches in this city. The only way you know you're really seeing more people come to faith is when you've got more churches. There's a lot of church uh, grow, uh, movement, and that's normal. But it doesn't mean we're growing as a church necessarily overall. So we want to be a growing community of kingdom people, formed of multiple smaller communities, little small groups. We're going to talk about that next week. In and through which our lives and our city are radically transformed by God's love, grace, and power. That's our vision. We boil it down to something a little bit more simple at the moment. This is language we're finding helpful. Helpful That we simply believe we're joining with God in the renewal of all things. He's making all things new. Not all new things, but all things new. And you'll know if you've been around, we have these five strategic objectives. I've simplified them for the slide. I'm not going to go through them all, but I want to say a few things in a moment about some of the things that we're going to be doing over the next 12 months to, to live these things out. But before I do that, I just under number four, I want to ask Kath to come up uh, real quick to share an opportunity, details of an opportunity that's come our way over the summer as a church to serve the city.
2: Yes, hello um, So, about a year ago, many of you will remember that we did um, some stuff in response to some of the refugee um, crisis that was going on in the world and some of the pictures that we 'd seen in the media um, and As a church, we decided that we would do Project Paddington, um, which was mainly for the young people, for the children to bring in their teddies, um, they wrote notes of um, just welcome um, to uh, the refugees in, um, sorry not um, notes of ref- of welcome, notes of just comfort and support um, to some of the children who had arrived in refugee camps in various parts of the world. So that was our small um, part that we played at that point. Um, but as probably with you it remains um, an issue kind of very much on my heart um, and I guess I have wondered what else we could do really and um, so in, in what can feel like such an overwhelming um, um, crisis and just unbelievable kind of number of um, people in crisis just through the world um, I thought it would be good to just start local basically and so I emailed the council a few months ago and that 's set into motion um, a process which has involved me speaking to the council quite a bit. And also a charity called Refugee Action um, which is uh, working with the council and is just contracted locally to um, be involved with the Syrian refugees which Worcester and Worcestershire more widely have taken in. So actually Worcestershire are one of the few councils in the UK who are accepting um, Syrian refugees, displaced people um, into um, the area. So the majority, about 80% of councils have said no to um, the 20,000 Syrian refugees who are arriving this year. Um, Worcester are taking 60 um, overall. It seems like a very small number, um, but it's a start. And actually, it's amazing that they've said yes, and it's come on the back of a lot of lobbying locally. Um, so um, Worcester are just accepting three families. Um, they arrived this week. Um, into Worcester and actually we as a church I've put our hands up kind of collectively um, to be um, the people who kind of lead the charge on welcoming these families to Worcester Um, and so what I want to do initially is just do something very practical which is to get us writing some cards of welcome. Um, and also organise some boxes, some welcome boxes, um, which I want to put together with your help. And um, we won't actually uh, necessarily have contact with the the refugees themselves, because that's very much up to them. Um, But we can give it to Refugee Action who will deliver those boxes. So I want to do that quite quickly. I've only just heard that they've arrived. It's all slightly undercover, um, the whole operation, for reasons that you'll understand. And so what I'd love you to do, if you want to be involved, if you want to just write a card, it can just say, welcome. Um, I'm going to hopefully get their names this week, so that's why I don't want to kind of set you into motion yet. But what I'd love you to do is just email the office if you'd like to be involved, and I'm going to um, get those email addresses together and then just let you know um, what you can do practically. It might be that you could buy something um, to put in the welcome boxes for those three families thank you thank you isn't that great
1: you know one of the things we believe is that God knows us by name and we've got an opportunity to bless three families in an outrageous way so that they know that even if other people don't necessarily welcome them there's a community here called all saints that says welcome okay so we'll give you more details but if you'd like to be involved in that you need to contact Kath or through the office or directly that would be great Okay, I want to share with you uh, over the next two weeks six things that we're going to be doing, uh, pressing on in as a church. I'm conscious of time. I'm going to do three this morning, uh, three next week. Um, the first is I want you to know that we have been working hard on trying to develop our pastoral care here at All Saints. I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, I'd recognize that's been an area that's been weaker for various reasons, but actually we have been working on what I've been loosely calling a pastoral care framework. Uh, This idea is simply that we wrap around the small groups, the midweek communities, a framework of care for people. And a lot of work's gone on to embed that into the life of the church. So that if people are in need, they're getting cared for in uh, better and more coordinated ways. The reason why we didn't kind of announce it and then try and do it was we didn't want to kind of create this kind of expectation that we couldn't deliver. We've been trying to work out how best to do that. But it's making progress, and later on uh, this month, a group of people that we've asked to help become part of a team to oversee and implement that further are going to be working together. And at some point, once we're ready, we're going to be commissioning them, if you like, to help uh, Kath and I, Owen, Laura, Paul, and others who uh, share in the pastoral care of of you guys, uh, so that actually there's a broader team of people. But what I want to remind you of is that as well as that, every single one of us is a minister. Someone came in the other day and said, where's the minister?" I said, I'll take your pick. They're all great, most of you. No, I'm joking. Uh, but, But we do recognize that as the church gets larger and as some of the issues that we're helping people with become more complex, we do need a dedicated team to work alongside us to make this pastoral care framework work a little bit better. So I'll say more about that as we go, but I wanted that to be on your radar. I'd like you to be praying for that. And if something in you right now is going, oh, Yes then come and talk to me, because it might well be that God's nudging you to commit to that ministry area in a particular way. The second thing I want to uh, draw your attention to and reiterate, I guess, is that um, we are forging on with the redevelopment of St. Helens. Um, I have never wanted redevelopment of our two buildings, which, let's be honest, we love and at times loathe. Uh, We love them most of the time, but they are a, um, a challenge, if you like. Uh, they both need an awful lot of money spending on them. Uh, I've never wanted those things to become something that gets in the way of us doing mission and ministry. Uh, but nonetheless, they do need to be repaired. That's the bottom line. And we've been working out how best to do that. And so it's been amazing. Uh, Anita and her project group on the PCC. Where's Anita? They have worked unbelievably hard to get us the way we have, uh, where we have. The paperwork alone just to get the HLF grant, which is only gonna do some of the work. That, I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of paperwork. So thank you. Um, here is what I'm really trying to say, is now, we, the PCC, need you to help us. I don't want it to become the thing we suddenly get distracted by. That's the last thing I want. But we do need to do it, and I think what we re- we recognise, particularly with St Helens, is that is a bl- a place that will be is our base for mission and ministry going forward. That's the logical place where we're really hoping to connect more and more with people, which is why we started there. Uh, and so practically, there are going to be all sorts of things that come along where we need some help. And at times, it will just be like, can you turn up like next week and welcome people? If you can give us an hour next week, come and sit in the church. Bring a book, because no one may come the hour you're there, but you may find that you're really busy. Here's what I found. Every single time we open these buildings for something. I was in here the other day doing a wedding rehearsal for Beth and Al's, and nine people walked in off the street. Nine people in an hour. So let's get the buildings open. Not for the sake of getting the buildings open, not so that people go, oh, I like your windows, but so that actually we can connect with people. And they can start to own their building again. Because in the olden days, that's what churches were. And then they put these things in called pews. And people stopped coming during the week. I want to get them open again. But that means we have to get them open again. Is that okay? And then the third thing, and I guess this is one of the things that I'm particularly excited about. I want to spend a little bit longer on, and I'm going to be cheeky and trust that because the children went out a bit late. I've got an extra few minutes. Uh, One of the questions I was asking while I was on sabbatical of the people I went to see was, I asked them all uh, two questions. And one of the questions was, there was more questions, but I asked two particular questions. Number one, one of the questions was, what's the single most effective thing you have seen happen or done in your church to really help people grow in their discipleship? Remember that priority number one is create a discipleship culture. We're called to be disciples, disciple-making disciples. What's the number one thing you guys have been doing in your churches that have seen people grow in their discipleship? I asked the same question of everybody I went to see, and they all gave me the same answer. Before I tell you what the answer was, here's a quote uh, from Bill Hybels. Bill uh, still leads a massive church in America called Willow Creek, and uh, about 10 years ago now, they uh, commissioned a report uh, to find out how effective they had been at creating disciples in their church, mega-church. Thousands and thousands, 25,000 people on a Sunday. They reckon about 80,000 in their plants. So huge, right? And they got these professional auditors in. They weren't Christians. They got them in and they said, can you examine what we do? And they were absolutely gutted to discover that despite spending a fortune, they hadn't really seen much discipleship. And to their credit, they went public and went, Actually, we need to tell you this because there's this thing called the Willow Creek Association and all around the world, all these other churches, we're trying to do what they've been doing. And they said, hang on. When we actually got the data, all the conferences, all the groups, all the courses, all the stuff we did, it wasn't actually making disciples. So what they said to the people who did this research was, what has made disciples? Within the mix, there must be some good news. What has happened? Before I tell you what the answer to that is, here's the quote. Bill says, we made a mistake. We should have taught people how to read their Bible between services. How to do the spiritual practices on their own. There's a clue as to where we're going with this. What they found was the people who had grown in their discipleship journey, the people who'd grown spiritually, grown in their Christian faith, were the ones who had consistently engaged personally with the Bible. That was the single thing. The people who'd seen any significant or ex- kind of consistent growth had been people, were people who were rooted in and living out the scriptures. That thing alone. So I asked Mark Batterson in Washington and John Tyson in New York and Simon Ponsby in Oxford and Carl Martin in Edinburgh, all people that some of you will have heard of, and I said, what's the single th- most effective thing you've done for discipleship? Without any hesitation, all four of them, they don't all know each other, they know of each other, they all said the same thing. Teach people the Bible. Teach people the Bible. And I had this moment of going, oh heck, (laughs) what have I been doing? That was when one of my wobbles came and I was like, should I just go now? Like out the back door. Because we teach biblically here. And there are times where we've taught books of the Bible. But what I realized is that's not enough. And in chatting to quite a lot of you over the summer to try to work out whether or not I was just going nuts, I was saying, tell me about you and the Bible. And overwhelmingly, the kind of response was, I know I'm meant to read it. I know it's probably really good to read it. And I try to read it, and sometimes I read bits of it and I find it helpful. But if I'm really honest with you, I just don't really. And it's because I don't know how to, rather than I don't want to. And that might not be true for you, because of course there's a spectrum of views. So that got me thinking a little bit, and I began to think, what could we do? And I was thinking about how uh, we've encouraged you in the past to follow uh, an app called The Bible in a Year, where you read through The Bible in a Year, and that's great, but you can be reading The Bible and going, what? Hey? And if you're like me, you get to Job, or not even that far, Leviticus, and you think, seriously, <laughs> like, what's he on? Can we just skip to Matthew? I like Matthew. It's like I know Matthew. (laughs) And so let's be honest. We all get like ten weeks in, and we're like. So I was praying, and I felt like God said, "What about a year in the Bible? What about not the Bible in a year? What about a year in the Bible?" And then through John Tyson, I discovered that there's actually two churches on the west coast of America that have done just that. They're coming to the end of a year in the Bible. They're actually calling it um, the Year of Biblical Literacy, and we're going to call our project the same, because they've said we can, and it sounds cool. Uh, And here's what it is, and I I want you to hear this. I'll say a little bit more next week, and we're going to launch it properly at the end of the month, but I want to get you excited. What we're going to do from the end of September through to the end of next September, is an entire year of teaching you, us, the Bible. What it is, who who wrote it, why it matters, how to make sense of it, how different bits fit together, what's the grand sweep of the story, how do we work our way around it, how do we make sense of those weird books, what on earth's going on, so that as you read it, you'll start to be able to go, ah, because this tells a unified story. And when you know the story and when you can get your head around the structure and the shell of it and the, uh, the main key ideas, you can actually go, oh, I'm here and it's about that. And that's what we haven't done. Some of you get there on your own because you like that and you can go that way like me, but others, you know, that's fine. We need to help you and we're in this together. But I've been working with Owen and Laura and some of the teaching team and I'm really excited about this. It's not going to suddenly be heavy, dense, dull Bible teaching. It's not that but it is going to be teaching you guys the Bible. And as well as Sundays, we're going to be producing small group material, we're going to be producing individual response material, we're going to do some midweek stuff, we're going to have some guest lectures, we're going to do some workshops, we're going to have some courses, we're going to have Q&A sessions, we're going to have a Bible reading plan that you can go through with us together. And I'm convinced that if we do that, together, and if you buy in individually, that two things will happen. One, we'll fall in love with the Bible again, maybe, or for the very first time, because suddenly but also faith will rise and keeping going will just be a whole lot easier does that excite you? hang on tight